0: This is the In Focus podcast from The Hindu. Welcome to The Hindu's In Focus podcast. I'm Zubeda Hamid, your host for today. March 21st was Single Parents' Day, commemorating mothers and fathers who parent alone. And while in India, families are still widely seen as that of two biological parents and their children, this is rapidly changing. Families can come in all sorts of forms, from single parents to parents who are not married but live together, adoptive parents, step-families, queer families, and more. However, while some laws and court judgments are clearing the path towards easier access to procedures and systems for non-traditional families, there are still multiple hurdles faced by single parents and their children for even basic procedures such as school admissions and banking. To explore how laws continue to discriminate against non-traditional families, and how far India has to go in changing its systems to ensure equal rights for all parents and children, we have with us today Professor Sarasu Esther Thomas, Professor of Law, National Law School of India University, Bengaluru. Welcome to the Hindus in Focus podcast, Dr. Sarasu Esther Thomas. Thank you, Zubeda, for having me here. Professor, last year the Supreme Court had observed that atypical family units are equally deserving of protections and benefits under the law, just like traditional families. Is this a significant observation in the light of a growing number of single-parent families live in relationships and queer relationships?
1: Uh, Yes, Zubeda. In Deepika Singh's case that uh, is a case that you're talking about, uh, it was a case of a composite family where there was a second wife who treated the stepchildren as her children and applied for childcare leave for them. And then when she had a biological child, she was uh, denied maternity leave, saying that this is a third child and uh, therefore she cannot claim maternity leave. And uh, the court observed, That um, the concept of a family, uh, both in law and society, which is that of, you know, a single unit that does not change with the father and the mother and the uh, children, uh, is an assumption which, you know, does not really uh, conform to uh, realities. And it mentioned actually many of the terms that you have used. It looked at uh, relationships that are unmarried partnerships or uh, queer relationships uh, and so on. So uh, in this case too, they felt that the woman keeping in mind her childcare role uh, was taking care of her husband's uh, children and therefore she should also be able to claim uh, maternity leave for her biological child. But whether this case is typical and whether it, you know, recognizes at a single brush stroke the rights of single parent families Uh, live-in relationships and queer relationships is another thing altogether. It does not.
0: So speaking about that, ma'am, like you said, there have been several court judgments that have been progressive and are making it easier to avail of documents like birth certificates, etc. But single parents still say that they face discrimination for things like school admissions, bank loans, and other procedures. So do we still have laws that discriminate against non-traditional families? Are are most of our laws still geared around the regular traditional family setup of mother-father-kids? When we look at
1: non-traditional families, as you call them, the law does not really recognize many forms of non-traditional families. And marriage equality is even now being litigated, as you know. Courts have made similar observations even in earlier cases, like you had the National Legal Services Authority case, the NALSA case in 2014, which looked at uh, rights of transgenders. And it, the court did say that this uh, binary of male and female uh, is not good and that laws should change. And all laws relating to marriage, divorce, adoption, inheritance, and social welfare legislations must change. But we know that these laws have not changed and uh, laws continue to discriminate. And, you know, this looking at the family unit as a basic unit of society and looking at marriage as a means of creating that family unit is taken as a fact, not just in Indian laws, uh, but also in other documents. And uh, early on, including in the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights and the International Covenant on Economic, Social and Cultural Rights, uh, we see that the family is often considered as the natural and uh, basic unit of society which is entitled to protection and that this family is uh, created by marriage. So though we do see that there are some court decisions which have made it uh, easier for single parents because of our larger bias towards recognizing families that are created through marriage, single children and single parents often suffer.
0: In what areas does this usually manifest? Ma'am, you mentioned inheritance for one and other legal ramifications. Where do we normally see that this discrimination applies? This could apply in
1: many areas of uh, family law, for instance. So in areas of guardianship, child custody, um, inheritance, and so on.
0: Are there any cases uh, that have come up challenging this, ma'am? As far as alternate
1: families are concerned, we don't have many cases which have actually challenged it. But when we look at family law, many aspects of family law do recognize single parenthood. Like if you look at areas of guardianship and child custody, Single parents often are guardians of their children, uh, and they have the right to child custody. And other areas of law, such as maintenance law, we see that every child can claim maintenance from their parents, regardless of whether the child is legitimate or not. But succession law is more alarming, because if the mother is an unpaid mother, then a child cannot claim property from the father. And in some cases, the child may not even be considered as being related to the mother and may not be able to get property at all. These are not areas which have really been challenged uh, because, as I said, we are basing our understanding on rights and liabilities in a family two notions of legitimacy and two notions of valid marriages.
0: There's this need changing, the notion of valid marriage and legitimacy.
1: I believe so, but uh, that path is not going to be an easy one because most people consider rights stemming from a valid marriage. So though you have some laws like the Domestic Violence Act, which recognize live-in relationships, it's for a very limited purpose. It's for the purpose of addressing issues that are faced by violence. Otherwise, for most other areas, uh, we are still you know, dependent on whether the couple is married or not, or whether the child is um, legitimate or not for conferring rights.
0: This is interesting, Professor, because a 2019-20 report has indicated that the number of single mothers in India is rising. It said that 4.5% or approximately 30 million of all Indian households are run by single mothers. We know that this could be due to uh, widowhood, deaths, divorces, separation, etc. So, Considering the fact that this seems to be a number that is rising due to various reasons, as you said, do we need a path forward where these current laws on, say, succession and inheritance do work towards change?
1: Yes, certainly. There have always been single mothers. And as I mentioned earlier, single parents and their families, that is the children, often face discrimination. When we look at lone mothers, which is a term that you and I believe the report also uses, uh, lone mothers are often described in relation to the men uh, they either married or did not marry. So we have widows and divorcees or unwed mothers. So when we're looking at these different uh, groups of women, their rights may be very different. So in the area of adoption, for instance, we see that You know, adoption law allows individuals to uh, adopt. And in Hindu adoption law, there's a curious case of widow adoption where a doctrine called the doctrine of relation back was applied. And when a widow adopted, she was earlier presumed to adopt not just to herself, but also to her husband who may have died a long time ago. So today, though the adoption law has changed and a widow adopts to herself today, Her child is considered to be related, uh, not just to her, but also to her late husband's family, to her late husband's relatives. (laughs) This is a strange regulation. (laughs) Correct, correct. So, uh, you know, so some of this, you know, tagging women to men, whether they are, you know, widows or divorcees, still continue in adoption law.
0: So... Looking at adoption uh, law, like you pointed out, single people are allowed to adopt uh, under the current adoption regulations. But another act that was recently passed, which is the Surrogacy Regulation Act, says that, for instance, single women and single men for that matter cannot avail of surrogacy services. Is this again in a newly passed law that is, seems to be going in a backward direction? Uh, I think um, that's
1: the surrogacy law takes a very different stand from the adoption law. So when you look at the adoption law, things have actually expanded. It is quite possible if you look at the Central Adoption Resource Authority guidelines for in-country relative adoption, and it's quite possible for a step-parent adoption, that is for a stepmother or a stepfather, to also adopt a child. Now, uh, adoption law now moves on the premise that parenthood and childhood has nothing to do with biology it is to do with the legal relationship which is also a social relationship so it's better for the stepmother or stepfather to also be the mother or the father of the child but when we look at the surrogacy act and the rules we see that it takes a very different stand it seems to insist more upon the fact that the child the child born through a surrogacy is genetically related to the people who are applying for that surrogacy. So this does place barriers which are unrealistic both upon couples as well as a single women who are um, opting for the procedure. So many couples may actually prefer IVF for other procedures if they were able to have genetic children anyway. And for single women, this is even more complicated because again, this you know single woman is tagged to a man so the only women who can apply are widows or divorcees and not other
0: single women. Or even women in living relationships who don't choose to marry, correct?
1: Yes, even in living relationships who don't choose to marry. So when we look at this, we see that you know, a woman can apply only when she's tied to a man. And couples can apply because they are a couple. Now, they also, this insistence on traditional surrogacy uh, or not allowing for traditional surrogacy rather uh, is unfortunate because traditional surrogacy is also better for the surrogate because it involves fewer medical procedures. So, insisting on a woman, a single woman using her own genetic material would put a lot of barriers in the uh, path of a single woman who wants to apply for a surrogacy.
0: So overall, when it comes to the reproductive health and rights of single women, Professor, how are we placed?
1: Well, we seem to be going back and forth and we don't seem to be taking a stand as far as reproductive and sexual rights of single women are concerned. There was another case last year, which was ex versus principal secretary health and family welfare department, where uh, a single woman had sought an MTP, which uh, she wouldn't have been entitled to because she was uh, not married, she was not a widow, uh, she was not divorced. And the court actually recognized reproductive, her reproductive and sexual rights in that case, and allowed her to uh, avail of the procedure. So on the one hand, you have cases like ex versus principal secretary, health and family welfare department, which talk about recognizing reproductive and sexual rights of single women. And on the other, you have rules relating to surrogacy, which looks at an intending woman to be an Indian woman who was tagged to a man in one way or the other. So we don't seem to be having a clear uh, policy on how uh, we should approach this. But keeping in mind, you know, Standards of dignity and autonomy and the constitutional rights that women have, I think we should not really make a difference between a single woman and a woman who is married or otherwise tagged to a man.
0: The law seems to recognize that if you are single for certain reasons, such as widowhood or divorce, it is still acceptable rather than being single, say, by choice or by any other reason, correct? Correct.
1: It does, and this is, you know, a common theme that you see in all these different uh, rules. Like in in many groups of Hindus, for instance, a widow could never adopt to herself; it was always to her deceased husband uh, earlier. And we see that, you know, theme continuing in the in surrogacy uh, and in MTP. So women are not seen as people who should you know, have sexual intercourse outside the bounds of marriage, or even have a child who is not tagged to a man. Uh, And it is unfortunate that even with everything that we have uh, been seeing on rights of the child, that we continue to have a concept like illegitimacy, which makes, which penalizes a child who's not born of a lawful marriage, uh, and, you know, stamps them with You know, a tag of illegitimacy, which then disentitles the child from being able to claim, you know, property from the father and sometimes also the mother. And what is even more sad is that many of the cases where a child's legitimacy is challenged does not uh, take place when the parents are alive. It usually takes place when the parents are dead. So adoption, for instance, is often challenged after the adoptive parents die and other relatives claim that, well, you know, you are not a properly adopted child. I'm also worried that this will also happen uh, in cases of surrogacy where after many years, You know, relatives will say that this was not a properly done surrogacy under uh, these rules for these these, uh, XYZ reasons. And uh, therefore, you do not have the right to claim uh, the property of your intended parents. So, you know, having these laws which narrow down children's choices or illegitimize children or don't recognize relationships is not just going to affect single women, but this is going to affect children. And we will know the impact of this, not immediately, but maybe, you know, 20, 30, 40 years later.
0: Going back to children's rights, ma'am, inheritance, uh, of course, is a major factor in, in these things. But are there also other things? For instance, we have so many laws that deal with Uh, you know, being able to be given a government job uh, due to compassionate reasons. Uh, We have so many other solutions being given in cases of death by the government. Are all of these also laws and social benefits that apply only to traditional family units?
1: Yes, because many of them are also tagged to, you know, succession. So, uh, let us say a person has a bank account and a nominee is mentioned in the bank account. The nominee has a right to receive the property, but it's the duty then of the nominee to give it to the legal heirs. So who are these legal heirs? The legal heirs are created through valid marriages or valid adoptions or valid uh, surrogacies. So if the heir is not recognized by law, then not just does the heir lose succession rights, but would also lose everything that is tagged to a succession right, including uh, compensation, including solatiums, as you've said, uh, including access to uh, bank accounts, including access to PF, and so on.
0: So essentially, the entire structure is based around this and has should do with a rethink.
1: Yes, certainly. The entire structure has to do with uh, issues of you know legitimacy and so we must rethink it otherwise we are not being fair to children
0: how can this work ma'am it's one thing for the courts in some cases to give progressive judgments that do recognize the rights of single parents and their children but do you think that this calls more for parliamentary action rather than court action
1: certainly and i think um even far back in the NALSA decision, which dealt with transgenders, uh, the court did mention that in Obiter. They said that, you know, all these different laws uh, need to change. But that, of course, cannot be done by courts and it must be done by uh, legislature. But since we are so used to this binary notion of uh, gender, uh, it is going to take a long time to change it. You might make... Some few changes in, let us say, a form. So, if you're applying for, let us say, a school admission or a passport, you are given a choice of male, female, or other. But in succession laws, you know, that doesn't really help you because in some succession laws, the share of a son may be different from that of a daughter. But it doesn't say what an other should be. Should the other be treated as a son or uh, treated as a daughter? And those who identify as a non-binary, I mean, how are you going to treat them? Some laws, for instance, Hindu law, the sex of the person who is dying also makes a difference. So if a Hindu man dies, you have one set of heirs. If you have a Hindu woman who dies, you have another set of heirs. So, you know, what happens if a transgender dies? Who are the transgender's heirs? You know, there is no clarity in the law at all.
0: That is very interesting, ma'am. So every law is basically in that sense uh, tricky in terms of anything that deals with families.
1: Yes, family law is tricky because like many other laws, it is uh, set in uh, this gender binary, but it has a very practical effect unlike some other laws might have.
0: But do you see progress in terms of at least the judgments that the both the higher and the lower courts are giving to recognize single-payer families and non-traditional families such as live-in relationships?
1: Yes, the courts, of course, as far as live-in relationships are concerned on domestic violence, certainly we have seen a lot of progress. But a lot of rights are set by legislations that the court cannot really change. And Unless we find a way of recognizing these relationships and tagging them to uh, property rights or to other kinds of rights, it will be difficult for courts to make those, you know, to make the jump, really. And, uh, you know, we are far from recognizing civil rights in relationships uh, that are queer relationships. We don't even recognize them as a couple in law. So though Section 377 of the IPC was read down and it is not criminalized anymore, that doesn't mean that any rights have been given to them, that we recognize them as a marital unit. So if a queer couple wants to adopt a child, for instance, it can only be one of them adopting a child. The other partner will not be considered to be uh, a parent or even a step parent in law
0: and what about single women or single men who want to who operate families?
1: Yes, single men and single women are allowed to adopt and in that birth certificate they would just be there would just be this one name X has uh, is the mother or the father of y and uh, that does not create any difficulties then you are a single uh, parent of that child so adoption actually allows for a legal relationship between a parent and a child and adoption allows for rights between a parent and a child and that is possible for a single woman or for a single man but not for a queer couple or for a man and woman who decide not to marry and remain in a living relationship even for them you know, they can't adopt a child.
0: Right. So, so many permutations and combinations when it comes to recognizing families that are non-traditional.
1: Yes. So, we are very, very far away from recognizing families that are non-traditional. Although we do have historical sources which show that at different points of time, there were different non-traditional families that were recognized. For instance, you had concubines whose children were recognized and maintained by people. You had, um, you know, customary practices, uh, or matrilineal systems where, you know, women's children were considered part of their family and the issue of illegitimacy never came in. But today, we are a little more strict as far as marriage is concerned. Is
0: that because of colonial influence, ma'am? In many parts of the country, illegitimacy was a bar anyway. So, I, do, I don't think it
1: were, we can blame it all on colonial influence. Though certain practices did die down because of colonial influence, penalizing a woman who was single, uh, who had a child, was there even early on in Indian society.
0: Right. So in some ways, some progress, but still a long way to go. Correct. Okay, ma'am, thank you so much for speaking to us today. You're welcome, Zubeda.